I'm Jenny Leffler. And I'm Gavin Bursco, and this podcast is not yet rated. everybody to the new episode of this podcast is not yet rated so glad to have you uh tuning in again and to any new listeners welcome welcome um you can check out our old episodes uh jenny's going to be able to tell you how to do that in just a second but uh i think you're really in for a treat this episode uh we have spike lee chirac and we have steve james's documentary the interrupters from a few years back and uh, i think that's going to spawn a pretty interesting conversation uh, Mm -hmm. between the two of us. So uh, we hope you guys enjoy. Yeah. And like Gavin said, if you want to listen to any of our previous episodes, uh, you can go to our website, www.thispodcastisnotyetrated.com, or feel free to follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash thispodcastisnotyetrated, and uh, follow us on Twitter, at still not rated, and if you're listening and you don't have either of those things, you can also email us at this podcast is not yet rated at gmail.com. Our first film this week is also Amazon's first original film, and that is Spike Lee's Chirac. This is an emergency. This is an emergency. Homicides in Chicago, Illinois have surpassed the death toll of American Special Forces in Iraq. Hey, it's all Welcome to Chirac. Chirac, where we at, my Land of pain, misery, and strife. Everybody here got a man banging and slanging, fighting for the flag, risking that long zip of the cadaver bag. All to the bang, bang. Bang, bang. It all started with a gorgeous Nubian sister. What's up, Spinner? They call her Alyssa Strauss. A woman like no other. You just try taking away their guns. Okay, okay, the dirty poppers. Because my gun go boom, I'll make sure a Trojan end up in the next. All right. Well, what else do they love? Repeat after me. I will deny all rights of access or entrance. I will deny all rights of access or entrance. Mr. Strider had them all take a solemn oath. Lock it up! Stop the murder madness or there would be no more pope. The situation's out of control because I'm in front of an empty stripper pole. That's right. You get snubbed. Oh, snap. We gonna make sure these fools put down these guns. Police signs, air day. People dying, air day. Mom's crying, air day. Father's trying, air day. Trying to get my head straight. It's the city of Chirac, man, get your bed, man. Do you want justice? Please pray for my city. Too much hate in my city. Too many hard aches in my city. But I got faith in my city. This Chirac and I love that. You can't take it away from my city. Some can't relate to my city. They die every day in my city. Yeah. Take a peyote. Story of fact. Can't shoot so babies get whacked. 
This is Amazon's first original movie, and they're doing it a little bit differently than Netflix because they're also giving it a theatrical release, and it's their first time doing this. Yeah, the, we, we should say that they're giving it a theatrical release prior to putting it on Amazon. Yeah, so they're, they're kind of giving it that push to go see it in the theater first. Right. If that's your thing. But if, if not, you can also see it on Prime in, um, in about a month, I'd say. But right now it's open in... I believe it's open in all major cities right yeah, now. It's so. open nationwide. Yeah. So you can you're gonna be able to find it somewhere in your city or state. You definitely have your chance to see it in a theater. Um, but if you don't know what it's about, I'm gonna tell you. So uh Chirac, uh, like I said, it's Spike Lee, but it's also um it's based off of the Aristophanes play called Lysistrata. And uh, the film, basically, it's about these two neighboring gangs in Englewood, um, a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. And it's these two neighboring gangs. You have the Spartans and the Trojans, and there's a lot of gang violence going on, um, which, you know, it also happens in the play, but it's also a very literal kind of translation translation for Chicago's uh, situation going on right now. But... um, a girlfriend of one of the gang leaders, her name is Alyssa Strada, she basically witnesses this event that kind of pushes her over the edge, and she's like, this gang violence has just got to stop. And so she kind of enlists um, both gang sides, their girlfriends, to take part in this sex strike. And their whole MO is basically no no peace, no pussy. Um, so you can kind of guess that, you know, just going on with that, the gangs don't really like that, but we'll get into that. And I guess I really liked this film. Um, believe it or not, I think this was my first Spike Lee movie ever, um, which I'm a little ashamed to admit because I feel like I should have seen something at this point, but, um, I really enjoyed it and I, I was really excited for it actually because, it's based off of a play, which I did not read, but um, I knew I was familiar with the story, so I was interested to see that kind of translation, that adaptation. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I thought the direction was great. I love the production design, just the whole look and the feel of the film. And ultimately, I did like the story. But uh, Gavin, what, what, was, what were your initial impressions of the film? I mean, I, I've been tracking this film for quite some time because, I mean, the, the thought of Spike Lee making a movie uh, set in Englewood um, called Chirac, and it's kind of, you know, we were hearing this buzz about it when it was first announced that it was going to be this uh, hip-hop musical, uh, and it just sounded so crazy and off the wall, uh, but it sounded very Spike Lee, so I was really excited. And then the first few trailers came out, and I became slightly less excited. And then I saw the movie, and uh, I was even less excited after having seen the movie. I guess I was—I guess I was pretty disappointed. I mean, Spike Lee isn't known for—he's not. You know, everybody has their different styles, but his films tend to be a little bit shaggier, uh, and that could be a good thing. 
but that can also be a bad thing. And I think in this film, um, there's definitely a clear point of view. There's definitely a clear vision. Uh, and I respect the fact that Lee is taking tremendous chances, both in terms of form and uh, just with his screenplay here. I think the yeah. dialogue, having it all rhyme is, I mean, that's that's really something. And that really kind of blew me away. But uh, the film itself, I don't think it works well as a film. I think as a polemic, it works, kind of. Uh, but as a piece of entertainment, I'm not so sure. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with this. But let's let's delve into this. So, uh, I mean, we've all... This is kind of a an interesting week to kind of dive into mm-hmm. two movies about the effects of gun violence. Um, and uh, I don't know. I guess when I was watching Chirac, so the film starts with what is essentially one of those lyric videos on YouTube, you know, where it's just the song in the background and then they have the lyrics flashing on screen. And it's like a black background and like red Yeah, red font font or purple font or something. And that's essentially what this movie starts out with for the first three minutes. And, you know, the song is interesting and whatever. I thought it was going to lead to something greater, but it was just that. And then, you know, so that's the first segment, right? And then the second segment, uh, he dishes out some statistics about uh, how many people have died in, uh, you know, the the war in Afghanistan, how many people have died in the war in Iraq, and then how many people have died in Chicago over the same amount of time. time. And those numbers are powerful, but after that segment, it goes into a segment with Samuel L. Jackson, and then it goes into... Uh, the beginning of the movie. So it's like four, it's like three different segments before we actually get to the movie itself. And so the first 10 minutes uh, is very difficult to get into because of that. Because so you're going. It's almost like too chaptered out. For yeah, you. it yeah. was, it, it felt like um, it wasn't very cohesive mm-hmm. in a way. And that was a problem throughout the film, but particularly at the start, it kind of, it kind of set me off a little bit. Um, because I wasn't, um, it made me uncomfortable, um, not because of the subject matter, although the subject matter is definitely disturbing, but it made me uncomfortable because I didn't feel like I was watching a finished product. I kind of felt like I was watching a rough cut. Um. That's never a good thing to feel like. (laughs) No, that's never a good thing. And I should say that, um, uh, the first real scene of the movie that we see is basically this club scene where Nick Cannon, who plays a rapper named Chirac. Who, and we should mention too, Chirac, or Nick Cannon's character, is a gang leader. He's a gang leader in Chirac. So the movie, so that's kind of one of the confusing parts as well, mm-hmm. right? The The title Chirac refers to not only the city, as the characters refer to that, or the part of the city that they live in, but also this rapper. And I guess I just, throughout the movie, I was kind of hoping that the Nick Cannon character just kind of, you couldn't have given him a different name, like <laughs> a different stage name, like really. Um, but because it, it was, a, it kind of clouds the film a little yeah. bit for me. But I think overall it was the shagginess um, that I, I kind of took issue with. Um, and I think some, some of the things were brilliant using the Trojans and the Spartans who in the original play are, 
you know, these warring factions of the same society who are basically trying to decimate each other so that way they can take over the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, I think that's uh, a really fantastic, uh, you know, Lee uses it to really fantastic effect in this movie. Um, but at times, I think the movie got too clever for its own good. Um, or at least cl- so clever that it kind of distanced me a little bit. So, for instance, um, there are certain characters who are supposed to be stand-ins for Oedipus, say. And mm-hmm. you have these characters, and they're just kind of there for one scene, and then Lee kind of forgets about them. And they're almost there as just jokes or plot devices, and then we move on to something else. And, uh... That, that kind of took away from this momentum that I thought the film would have. This driving force, this kind of, um, really, this protest movie about um, what this community is doing to itself and why it's doing it to itself. What are the socioeconomic uh, reasons why gun violence exists in Englewood currently? Mm-hmm. Um, and it became kind of this globular momentumless drudge towards the end, at least for me. Uh, it didn't feel well-paced, and uh, I guess I I kind of came out of the movie not liking any of the characters, just because they all came off as, frankly, a little bit annoying. Now, I know... Annoying in one note, I should say. Yeah, and I know an issue that you kind of had with the film is we have this lead character that we follow around throughout the entire movie, um, this Estrada, and she, I know an issue you had was you didn't really know anything about her. And now that I think about it more, we really don't get to know anything about her except for the fact that she's dating Nick Cannon's character, Shira. Right. And she doesn't like this gun violence that's going on. But other than that, we we know literally nothing about her as a character. Right, which is disturbing about all the female characters. I think we could just say that about every female character in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I think... Or they're really defined pr- by, like, one thing, too, which is a little... Right, but what I'm going to say is that's, that's really every character in this movie. They're defined by one thing, and so it really requires the actor in that role to to kind of really do something with it. So you have Angela Bassett, who's playing uh, kind of this this older woman who's lived in the community for, you know, quite some time, whose daughter was gunned down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Angela Bassett is, you know, obviously, you know, a really great actress. She's fantastic. And she's bringing, uh, she's bringing it to the role. She's mm-hmm. bringing this backstory that we don't necessarily get to hear, so we feel the gravitas coming from her on the screen. But it isn't necessarily there in the screenplay. So she still kinds of, despite her best efforts, she still comes off as kind of one-dimensional to me. And I would I would say probably the second performance, probably my favorite performance in the film, is actually John Cusack, who plays uh, the local pastor uh, at uh, this uh, church. And uh, I think what Cusack is able to, certainly he has the role with the biggest amount of fireworks, but I think what he's able to do there with the character is really interesting, um, but that's despite the characters as they're written on the page. Mm -hmm. I think that's actors transcending the words on the page, and it's not the words helping the actors at all. 
Um, but that being said, I think the dialogue that they're speaking is really impressive. Yeah, and I kind of want to get into that dialogue because I think for both of us, that's probably one of our favorite parts of the whole film. Um, and it's the way that the way that uh, both Spike Lee and Kevin Wilmot have written this this film. Um, it's kind of it. Everything rhymes basically. Yeah. It's written and, in verse. Yeah, it's written in verse, and um, it's kind of this poetic type language that you're seeing come across on screen, as it is in the original in the play. play. Yeah, and so it's without it being a direct adaptation, it's you get a very much a feeling of what it would be like to watch this play, um, kind of performed in modern time. And I think just, uh, it was very, for me, it was very, like, transfixing just to kind of watch on screen, just because you don't necessarily get that that often unless you're seeing, I don't know, an adaptation of the Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yeah. yeah. So I really appreciated that. And I don't know, I think it's probably one of my, I don't want to say it's my favorite screenplay of the year because it's not, but it's one of my favorite Ways in which the dialogue was written of the year, because it's very unique in that sense. Yeah, and I will say that um, my criticisms of the screenplay are, I, I mean, really, my my one-word review for this film is really that it's, it's a mess. It, it really is kind of a mess, but it's a... It's a respectable mess. Like, I respect what Lee is trying to do here, and I respect that he has a vision. It's not necessarily a vision that... This is not how I would necessarily approach the material. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't have all these loose ends kind of just left in the wings and pushing them aside, you know, for these weird, strange moments of comedy that he tries to add. You know, I respect what's going on here, and I think in terms of... Um, in terms of the dialogue, I think it really kind of hammers home, for me at least, because certain characters speak differently, and they, mm -hmm. they use the verse differently. I think the Lysistrata character probably uses the tightest, the tightest rhymes, mm -hmm. um, and then you have a character like John Cusack, who doesn't really, it's more of a free verse thing, but Lee and uh, his co-screenwriter... They they use a lot of uh, they use a lot of repetition mm -hmm. uh, to good effect, and uh, so it's the way that the characters speak in this film that that really kind of ultimately gets to me and is probably what I take away most from the film because it's it's revealing in a way the theme more than it is of the characters themselves. But really, this movie is like I said before, it is a polemic. It's not about the characters as individuals. It's about what is the what is the play trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I wish there didn't have to be that trade off between yeah. having you know well rounded characters or dynamic characters and having you know this great tremendous dialogue. But that seems to be the trade off Lee made uh, when he was making this film. And I guess kind of also going off of the the poetic language and dialogue of the film, um, and you kind of get to see the, the play come to life on screen a bit, I, I also saw there was this great sense of theatricality in the production design of the film. And uh, the production designer was Alex DiGiromando. And I, I have to say, I, I really... 
I just liked the whole look of the film. I don't know what you necessarily thought of it, but it just, you could kind of see these, um, these moments where maybe Greek or Roman life kind of came to life on screen. Like, she kind of took a, the sheets off of the bed at one point and it was wrapped on her like a robe. I don't know if you caught that. Um, but it was, yeah, it was an interesting, it was, it was a post coital kind of (laughs) thing, but it was the way it was draped. Right. Yeah. Of course. Definitely like an homage to that. But then there were, there were certain costume choices and jewelry choices and just the whole look of the film in general that I, I really, I really liked the look of the film. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is your first Spike Lee film, so that's it's, true. That's it's quite true. an introduction. <laughs> but like, you know, Spike Lee knows what he's doing with the camera. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he knows how to make a visually impressive film, uh, and he knows how to tell stories visually. And I think this film is no exception. There are certain sections of the film, long sections, in my opinion, that feel a bit empty. And I think the reason they feel a bit empty is maybe because the visual the visual style isn't necessarily in service of the story he's trying to tell, but um, these kind of tangents he goes off on. Like for instance, um, there's there's one scene where the Lysistrata character seduces. Uh, a super racist military, we're supposed to assume, a military general. I think, I think his name is, like, General King Kong. Right, General King Kong, right. So it's, a, you know, it's kind of this slapsticky uh, type thing. And he, the audience we saw it with was, was really responding to it. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, but I think um, those are the points in the film, while they might be entertaining to some people, I think they ultimately, uh, for me at least, they distracted me from the movie, and they, you know, they they kind of lost my attention a little bit, or I lost my attention during those parts, and it was difficult to draw me back into the fold here, uh, because there wasn't, as I was saying before, this forward momentum. You would think that maybe we would be following Lysistrata's story, or maybe we we would be following Chirac's story, or one of the other characters, that there would be this constant through line throughout. And unfortunately, there really wasn't. Um, And, uh, you know, poor Jennifer Hudson, uh, you know, she's, you know, she's kind of this subplot. Uh, The the girl who was killed at the beginning of the film that Jenny referred to uh, is uh, Jennifer Hudson's character's daughter. Mm -hmm. And she's gone down in the middle of the street in crossfire. Uh, between these two warring gangs. And poor Jennifer Hudson, all she does in this movie is just cry. Well, and I have to say, too, her first scene when she was on screen, she came on, I mean, she was crying in that scene as well, but... Well, that makes sense. I, I was just, she was, like, completely on fire in that scene. And I was like, oh my god, this is going to be a great Jennifer Hudson performance, and I'd heard a bit of buzz around her performance as well. Um, but then you continue watching the film, and it's kind of, this is one of my major criticisms of the film, especially as it pertains to Jennifer Hudson. She just cries on screen in every scene she's in, and it All kinda, she does is emote. Yeah. And, and it's not her fault. No. It's the screenplay. <laughs> and it's, it's just, you have such a talented actress in Jennifer Hudson, and you're just having her cry on screen, which she does very well, but she can do so much more, and... It's kind of, I wish she was given more 
And that's that to me is character. kind of that to me is kind of indicative of how he treats all the characters to a certain extent. I mean, really, what does even Lysistrata have to add to the story? That's yeah, that's nothing. Really I mean, and uh, this this scene when Lysistrata sees this girl's body lying in the street, covered up, she sees her gun down in the crossfire. We're led to believe that this community sees this kind of violence all the time, all the time. And so we need to understand why Lysistrata leads what is essentially a sex strike in order to end this gang violence, Mm -hmm. okay? And why this girl's murder is the motivating factor. Because why this girl? You know, if, if you've seen, you know, if you see this kind of violence every other day, why would this girl in particular hit you. And I guess I just didn't see that. And I'm not quite sure where to kind of, not to put the blame, but, you know, where to where to kind of put that. Is that on the screenplay? Or is the burden in the performance there? Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of how I felt throughout the whole movie. It was difficult to kind of find these characters' motivations. It felt like they were these cogs in this machine, and they all had a role to play. And we all know uh, how the story is going to end, uh, or at least you know Lee wants us to. And so, um, therefore, it doesn't really matter why they do the things they do. It just matters that they do them. And I guess that was really frustrating to me um, because I'm looking for that kind of psychological depth to kind of connect to these people, because otherwise, you're just preaching to the choir. Yeah. Right? Who's going to see this movie if it's just a political polemic? I mean, obviously we did. Mm-hmm. But we're the target audience. We completely agree with everything you're saying, Spike. But, <laughs> y- you know, how are you going to get other people to come see this movie? If the movie itself does not work as a movie. That's um, and that that's kind of my problem. I completely agree with you. And I think that one of the reasons maybe that this film in particular is kind of been buzzworthy not only is it another spike lee movie that's come out but it's been kind of criticized for possibly glamorizing um the gang violence in chicago which i know in um the second half of this episode we'll get into you know more the reality of gang violence in chicago or maybe the perception that it is gang violence but i after seeing this i don't know that it glamorized it at all and I'm curious what you thought. No, of. there's nothing. There's nothing glamorous about. I, I think. I mean, obviously, I think everybody's kind of heard the buzz around this movie and kind of, you know, a little bit of the debate around it. Uh, and honestly, I think that's just people who don't understand satire because mm-hmm. that is what this this movie is. And Spike Lee likes to kind of play around with some serious subjects sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, that's what satire's for. Uh, it's not to make fun of the situation, uh, but it's to maybe like make light of use, the realities. To make well, it's to make the realities easier to swallow. Mm-hmm. In in order so that we might be able to grasp these larger truths, because they're so depressing that if you were to just make a straight up movie about Chicago gang violence, nobody would be able to sit through the entire film because it's just too tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
yeah, I think it's taken completely seriously. Um, well, and, and I mean, Gavin mentioned this before, but the first, like, three to five minutes, they're, they have this, you know, essentially lyric music video on screen, but then they present you with statistics, and then they show this map of the United States made out of guns. So it's kind of, it's kind of like forcing you to be like, by the way, this is what you're about to get into. Right. And, I mean, I think, in a nutshell, my issue with this film is that it was both too overtly political, and it was not political enough. Okay. Uh, it's it's kind of, you know, it's a bit strange, but <laughs> uh, that's kind of my sense of this film. Mm-hmm. I wish that Lee had kept that same, I would rather Lee keep that same intensity from that, that lyric video at the beginning throughout okay. than to just drop out of it just somewhere in the middle and leave us hanging and then try to be like, oh yeah, remember what we were trying to do at the beginning and then try to ramp it up in the last 10 minutes uh, where it kind of ends in this melodramatic mush, really, um, which doesn't really work. We don't want to go into it too much. but uh, (laughs) That was one of Gavin's biggest criticisms of the film, and if you see it, you'll know what he's talking about. I don't think it was one of my biggest criticisms, but it's what you leave the theater having seen. That's true. Uh, it's the last image, or one of the last images. So, um, that's... I don't know. So, would you recommend this to our listeners? Uh, if you're a Spike Lee fan, uh, you know, you have to see this movie if you're a completist. Um, mm-hmm. To anybody else, uh, I would probably say no. And, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're going to go into the interrupters in just a few minutes, but... Honestly, I would suggest if people are interested in, first of all, if they're interested in just going out to see an entertaining movie, I would not suggest this movie because this movie isn't even entertaining. It doesn't work <laughs> as a movie. And okay. that it, and it has nothing to do with the subject matter. It has mm-hmm. everything to do with the way it was made. I just don't think it's a, an entertaining film. Um, if you're going uh, to see kind of this political polemic about uh, what's going on in Chicago in terms of gang violence... Uh, I still wouldn't recommend this movie because, uh, and we're going to get into this later, I have some other recommendations that people might want to check out. Um, And there are other Spike Lee movies. If you want to see a Spike Lee movie and maybe you haven't seen too many, you know, there are better ones to see. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think I can. Uh, At least not in theaters. If someone wants to check this out on Prime one day, uh, once it gets on Amazon Prime and they want to stream it for free and just kind of check it out, Okay, um, but I, I can't recommend people spending $10, $15 a ticket to see this movie. Um, I, it just wasn't for me. I, I semi-agree with you. I, I, think I, I think it's safe to say I enjoyed the film a lot more than you did. But um, I do think that, you know, if you don't want to necessarily take the risk in seeing the film in a theater and not liking it, I do think that this could be, like, the perfect film to wait for it to come to Prime. But then, you know, like, the first weekend it's out on Prime, you should see it. This was uh, Spike Lee's Chirac, and you can find it um, in theaters. It's in all major cities this week. And it will also be on Amazon Prime in the next month or so. And uh, with that, let's get into uh, our second film of this week's double feature. And it's Steve James's 2011 documentary, the interrupters. I need everybody from the ages of 13 to 24 to stand up. I'm going to be real honest with you all because, see, 
We real talking up in here because Duke is real laying right in front of us. A man was murdered overnight on Chicago's south side. Police say it happened to execution style. I'm fed up. 124 people have been killed. Each and every one of you all can be Duke right here. There are three bullet holes in his home fired by... We got a responsibility to bring up our community to be vibrant. died last Friday. Shot in the back as he tried to shoot. My brothers, cease the fire, call the truth. The violence of the Raptors had one goal in mind, save a life. And we need people to step up this table and go over and beyond. Man, we got over 500 years of prison time at this table. That's a lot of wisdom. If I fall short... After my life, I was in prison. That's why I do what I do now. I think I just stay busy, just try to forget about some of the things that I've done. If your expectations I used to be in jails, kicking off rides and just gangbanging. Let's just correct this. Let's just be a family. Amina Matthews' father was one of the biggest gang leaders in the history of Chicago. She gets in where a lot of guys can't get in. Schools, churches, your mama's house, your cars, those are safe zones. Hang in there, baby. How can you help me right now? How can you help me? Please don't give up on me. And I thank God that you have changed your life, but you just don't know what they have did to me and my kids. I deal with this every day of my life. I know it's late. Can't know anybody come in and tell a guy to put his gun down. We've been taught violence. Violence is learned behavior. If they have a strong person that's lived that life, I think they could be saved. Whatever you do, we're going to make it. Do you want to be loved? Absolutely. Do you deserve to be loved? Absolutely. We're sick and tired of our babies being killed. We can't be quiet no more. We still look out for one another. To me, it's like there's still some hope left. Don't give up on me. to admit when i was kind of coming up with the movies for this week's episode um or i kind of suggested them to jenny mm-hmm. um i kind of felt like this was a, a little bit obvious <laughs> chirac and the interrupters right i kind mm-hmm. of like that to me was like our uh, spotlight all the president's men episode right it's i mean it's appropriate but it's um it's the, it's not necessarily the easy choice on the but nose. it kind of is yeah it's yeah. on the nose um <laughs> But, that being said, I had a discussion with somebody this week who watches a lot of movies, uh, loves documentaries, and uh, I told him what we were doing this week, and he, uh, he didn't know about The Interrupters. He okay. just, he, he hadn't been aware of the film, which was surprising to me, because I, I'm a big Steve James fan, um, and if you don't know who Steve James is, he's a Chicago documentarian, uh, probably most famous for making uh, Hoop Dreams. Uh, which is, you know, one of the greatest (laughs) documentaries of the past 25 years, if not of all time. Uh, And then also, uh, he did Last Year's Life Itself. Um, Those are kind of the nice... Roger Ebert. Yeah, those are kind of the the two easy bookends to kind of sell people on Steve James. So this is a uh, clearly a very, very talented uh, documentarian. And... um, I was I was just kind of surprised that um, more people didn't know about this movie, and I know Jenny. I've been trying to get you to see this movie 
for many years I now. I think you've been trying to get me to see this movie ever since I think you saw it back in 2011. Yeah, b- back when it came out, yeah. And I I mean, honestly, when you, you brought it up again for this episode, I was kind of like, uh, can you remind me what that movie's about? Because I did not, it's just, it's not really a, a household name, I guess I'd say. But once you, you've seen it, or once you've heard about it, you kind of, you don't really forget about it. Because it's... It's such a, it's an important, it's an important topic, especially in the Midwest and in Chicago alone, like. Yeah, and maybe it's because we both came from the Midwest. I guess this week's topic wasn't so obvious at all. It was kind of appropriate, because to me, The Interrupters provides not only the context, which I thought it would, Mm because we had planned this movie without having seen Chirac first, but it also provides these great characters that I wish Chirac had had. I mean, you can't... I mean, but this isn't really to fault Spike Lee because you cannot think of a better character than Amina Matthews. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just... A, I mean, she's just, like, a hero. Uh, and just a really tremendous lady. And there there are a few other... Uh, Kobe is also another one who's... Uh, really great. So the film is filled with a bunch of uh, real-life characters, uh, violence interrupters, who uh, live... Literally interrupt the violence. Well, yes. They, they <laughs> live in the same neighborhood where Chirac was set. This is a real Chicago neighborhood. It's uh, called Englewood. And uh, there is a tremendous amount of gang violence mm-hmm. in that area. Uh, a tremendous amount of shooting, and you see the numbers out of, you know, coming out of there, and it's absolutely staggering. Well, and they, they also begin their film with the statistics showing the numbers. Right. And, um, I guess kind of in comparison to Chirac, you know, with the interrupters, you're kind of like, oh, well, it, it, they're gonna get really real into this. You know, it's not necessarily like, oh, it's kind of safe, because it's distance, it's these Hollywood actors portraying these characters. Um, right. And it's, and this movie at times does not feel safe. It feels the opposite of safe. Yeah. Um, because James uh, and his crew, it, he was working with a skeleton crew here. And we should say that Steve James is kind of a middle-aged white man. Mm-hmm. Now, he's from Chicago, he lives in Chicago, he works in Chicago. Everybody knows Hoop Dreams. You know, it's pretty easy to ingratiate himself with people, you know, with that mm-hmm. movie on his resume. But he is very much the outsider going into this neighborhood. He doesn't live in this neighborhood. Uh, that experience is not his experience, culturally or otherwise. And uh, I think what he's able to do here... Uh, he, you know, he's on the ground and he kind of ingrains himself in this, uh, in this process of viol- violence interrupting and into these interrupters' lives and some of the people they're trying to help. Uh, but he also is able to kind of almost have this, this journalistic um, uh, remove from the subjects of the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's able to... Uh, he's not prescribing solutions, but he's able to document it in such a way that, at least for me, there were multiple times where I was just crying watching this movie, and I've seen this movie several times. Um, but it's the first time that I've ever had to stop it midway through and just be like, okay, I need to view this in two different 
sections because yeah. it just got to be too much after a while. And I think a lot of it has to do with just kind of this recent wave of tremendous gun violence. And the question I was asking myself throughout this entire movie is what the fuck are we doing to ourselves? I mean, there are two scenes in the film. I don't know if they're my, my favorites, but they're definitely up there. But they stick, they stick out for me. And it's when uh, this girl that, Ami- that, uh, that Amina is, uh, she's mentoring. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, you know, this is a girl who has not had an easy life. Um, and, uh, you know, she did not have great parents. She's been shuffled around to, I think they said 12 or maybe it was 15 different foster homes in the past few years. Uh, there's sexual abuse in her past. Not happy. And that's what attracts her to the gang life. But Amina is mentoring her, and she takes her out to get a manicure. Mm -hmm. To kind of show her that, you know, there is somebody who cares about you. And there are people who want to help you. And she's taking this girl out to get a manicure. This is the first time this girl's ever gotten a manicure. She's getting her fingernails done and everything. And, uh, you know, she's, she's finally, you know, she's looking at the nails at the end. Uh, and Amina's talking to her, like... So are you, you know, you're going to show up for school tomorrow, right? And she isn't able to respond because she's too busy looking at her fingernails that were just painted. Mm -hmm. And that was just absolutely heartbreaking for me. Because this is somebody who, something as simple as having a coat of lacquer on your nails Mm -hmm. has this person speechless. And I can only imagine what she's thinking, because this is complicated for her. I mean, people have mistreated her her entire life. Well, and when someone's showing kind of compassion and care and putting right. this... You don't know how to nails. deal with yeah. that, because you have no reference point for that. Uh, and of course, you know, the, it, this 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 girl's story is kind of a th- one of the many through lines throughout this movie. Um, and we kind of see how she deals with it. But, so that scene... Uh, is the first one. And then, immediately after, one of the violence interrupters, uh, he's, uh, he's a Latino man who was in prison for, I believe it was 20 years, for committing a murder. And he's just gotten out recently, and he got affiliated with the violence interrupters. And uh, he's really into art. He got into art while he was in prison. And his way of giving back to the community and trying to kind of forgive, not forgive, but to kind of repent uh, for killing this person is to kind of go out into the community and do these uh, art programs with these kids. Mm-hmm. And so he's so he's going through this painting class and uh, he's kind of asking these kids about what does this painting make you feel like? What does this painting make you feel like? How are things in the neighborhood? And this one girl who's probably maybe 10 years old, uh, you know, she starts to talk about how just the other day the person living below her uh, got shot and killed. Yeah. And she's unable to continue because she's so terrified that that's going to happen to her. And that, between those two scenes and, you know, just with that girl, um, James kind of leaves us there because there's no easy solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the point in the movie where I just started saying what the fuck are we doing where this little girl has to worry about being killed? 
the, I mean, and I know, like, when we were that age, that was not even something that would have crossed my mind. And so watching something like this, I'm just kind of like, it's heartbreaking to know that we live in this kind of society that, you know, children have to worry about, like, oh, well, I'm worried that if I go outside, I'm worried that, like, you know, me or a friend might get shot by, like, a stray bullet or the shootings in my neighborhood. And it's kind of like, what... At what point is enough enough, you know? And also, how do we fix this problem? And I think if there's any criticism to level against this film, and I don't think it's necessarily an appropriate one, but James doesn't give us any real answers. No. But how can you with such a large systemic problem? Because as they're talking about in the film... It's not just a problem with guns. You could take all the guns off of the streets, and there would still be violence. And the real problem here is a lack of respect. It's a lack of respect between the people who live in the neighborhood, but ultimately it's a lack of respect from other citizens who live in the surrounding areas. Um, You know, businesses who are, you know too afraid to uh, to build in that area, you know, sometimes rightfully so, because it's a pretty violent area, but without jobs uh, and with unemployment around, you know, 22%, I think they said, mm-hmm. which was, I think it was like 15, uh, 15 or 20 points higher than the city's average. Yeah, it was, I think it was about 17. And so what do, what do people do when they can't get jobs? I mean, uh, well, they're obviously going to gravitate towards, you know, doing some illegal activities to make some ends meet. What are those illegal activities? Well, they're probably going to be running some guns. They're probably going to be running some drugs. What comes with running guns and drugs? It comes with violence. That's what it comes with. So this is what really happens when we don't give people opportunities. And really, I think what James's thesis here is, is this is what happens when we don't respect each other. And it isn't just the people on screen who aren't respecting each other. But it's the people off-camera, it's the people who are watching the movie, who are also complicit in this. Well, and I think that's something that, just to kind of contrast with Chirac, that, you know, they kind of just glossed over, is they were just like, well, all this violence in Chicago, it's just gang violence. And it's like, I don't know that that's necessarily it. You know, I think it's more of a people violence. Like, it's... It's people not respecting one another, and I think, and you really get to see that firsthand with the interrupters, and it's, I think that's what's kind of heartbreaking about it, too, is it's kind of like, well, it's not only these people that are killing each other, but it's also, you know, we're watching this on screen, and it's like, well, you know, it's also the people watching it who aren't respecting one another. Right. And I think that's part of the reason why I had to turn the movie off. Mm-hmm. Part of the way through, I you know I ended up finishing it obviously again, uh, but I had to I had to pick it up maybe the next day. It's a lot to take. It's in. a lot to take in, and it it left me feeling very very depressed while I was watching this film because it does kind of send you into this spiral of hopelessness to a certain extent. Like, well, what can we do? Like, how can we fix? this problem? How can we make sure that this girl in this classroom isn't terrified of just going out 
um, and just, you know, walking to school every day. And, uh, that was kind of unique to this, to this, um, to this viewing of the film for me. And I think a lot of that, again, has to do with kind of where we are as a country right now, uh, in terms of guns and, uh, you know, there are certain politicians, uh, about half the politicians in the House right now, who just think that the solution for gun violence is to put more guns in the street. Um, and I just do not understand how you could see a film like this and, and then take the and solution. then come up with that solution. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of rage. I wasn't sure, frankly, I wasn't sure this morning when I was finishing up watching the second half of the film, if I could really even talk about this film coherently. Because it just angers me to to such a degree that it, it just, I mean, I was a mess when I was watching this movie. It's frustrating. Um, but I think what James is doing is so important because he's bearing witness to what's happening, right? For all the people you know, who might be denying, you know, the true scope of the problem or, you know, people who might not live around that area, who might not have heard about it. Um, and he's just bearing witness and then he's putting it out there and he's saying, I'm not the guy, I'm not paid to come up with the solutions. Mm -hmm. I'm paid to bring the issues to you that require the solutions. And, um, I don't know. To me, this is uh, this is one of those documentaries that just sticks with you, and that's why I've revisited it, you know, so much over the years. Um, but it sticks with you, and I think it's... I just think it's absolutely necessary, um, especially now of, of all times. Yeah, and I know right after... Well, actually, right before we recorded this, Gavin asked me, you know, what what did you think of the film? And I kind of didn't say anything at first, and I was kind of like, I don't really know what to say, because, you know, in comparison to Chirac, Chirac is very showy, and it it's a lot more, I thought it was a lot more enjoyable to sit through, but, you know, when you're watching The Interrupters, it's it's very, it's a very dark film, both visually, but also just the subject, and it's kind of, it does make you uncomfortable, and it was kind of, I think the words I said was like, well, I just kind of felt dark after I watched it, and I know that's not necessarily how you should judge a film, but I was just kind of, I didn't feel good after watching it, and I think that says something, though, about the effect of this film, and it kind of makes you want something different and because you're seeing this reality on screen it's not just a portrayal of the reality this is reality yeah i think you feel i think the emotion that we both felt was just kind of this hopelessness yeah um and despair to a certain extent and there is an epilogue in the film uh you know a little tag on the film where a few of the characters stories they seem to be kind of working out um or as best they can but ultimately, even if they turn their lives around, they're still living in a community where so many other people are engaged in this very violent behavior. And so who's to say that they might not get ca caught in the crossfire? Well, and even even at one point, um, one of the interrupters, 
he does get caught in crossfire and you get to see it a bit towards the end of the film. Um, he gets shot in two different places on his body and he's in the hospital. Get shot in the back and the leg, yeah. Yeah, and you're just like, oh, holy shit, like, this is a major risk that these people are taking. Right. And, um, I guess, you know, for, I mean, you realize that throughout the film, but then until you see that one of them has actually been shot and his life was very much at risk, it's kind of like, oh my God, we, like, what is going on? Yeah. And let's, and let's talk about, I mean, I think that's an important scene and that, that's kind of the, the mirrored, uh, the mirrored image later in the film mm-hmm. to one of these, uh, incredible scenes towards the beginning where uh basically there's this there's this fight that kind of erupts in the middle of the street as these cars are passing by mm-hmm. and uh uh you know we're you know I can't, I can't really remember what started the fight and ultimately it doesn't really matter basically it boiled down to someone felt they were disrespected uh and they they were you know they were punched a little bit and um this person's family members, they come out and they come out with a knife and they start wielding the knife and they start, uh, basically they're, they're looking for people to hurt. And, uh, this is going on in the middle of the, in the street and it's complete chaos. And Amina Matthews, who's kind of the the protagonist of this documentary, really, Mm -hmm. uh, she's stepping in the middle of these people and kind of pushing this girl with the knife away and just like she's literally in the middle like her this girl's intent is to kill someone yeah and i mean there are cars whizzing by and they're spilling out onto the sidewalk and everywhere and her life is at risk while she's doing this while she's trying to help prevent people from putting other people's lives at risk um and I just, I just kind of want to talk about her for a second because I think she's probably one of the most incredible characters um, that I've seen in recent memory. Um, well, and we say character too, like she. No, she's a real person, but too, in this yeah. documentary, she functions as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess Jenny, this is your first time seeing the movie. So what was your impression of the interrupters, but her specifically? Her specifically, I mean. This is just someone who is so determined to make a change in her community or to put a stop to this violence or at least to interrupt it. Um, But, I mean, my first impression of her is just, I mean, you see someone who's come from this rather violent background herself, abuse in her family growing up, um, that she experienced firsthand. Well, and she has the, the, the street credibility. Uh, because her father was one of the biggest gangsters in Chicago history. Yeah. And so when you see that combined with kind of her effort to flip that around and to stop it, it's just, I mean, it's enormous. And it's kind of like you do, I mean, she's a very strong person. So I don't know, I was very confident in her, but at the same time, she's putting a lot of risk out there as well. So it's kind of, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, like, I hope nothing happens to her while we're watching this, but just in general, like, in real life, I hope nothing happens to her. But she's this very, very, very strong woman, and I I was very impressed watching her on screen, too. Just this, 
this character and the way she talked about her background and kind of her connection to religion as well, which was kind of interesting to throw into there as well, her Islam background. Well, it, I mean, that was definitely interesting because, um, you know, a lot of it came a little bit from her father as well. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, her background, how she uses her background, and how she used to be one of these kids that she that she now mentors and talks to. Yeah. Um, it is kind of amazing what a presence she is to mm-hmm. these kids. Like, when she shows up, these kids shut up. Yeah, like, they, you see heads turning, right. and people stop talking. And, <laughs> and honestly, she is able to elicit a conversation out of people. Um, and she's able to create a dialogue, and she's able to cool people down in a way that even even Kobe, another great violence interrupter, nobody in the film who was portrayed was really able to match in quite the same way. Like, she's able to sit people down mm-hmm. and kind of, she's she's basically saying, listen, I completely get where you're coming from. This is about respect. You don't feel respected. Okay. But where does this end? Yeah, it's kind of like, is this the right thing? Or it's not necessarily the right thing to do, but it's like, is this the right way of going about it? Is this the right way of going about it? Exactly. She isn't, the way she, it's actually a neat kind of trick. Not that it's a trick, but what she's really doing is she's empathizing with these people. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's saying, listen, I've been exactly where you are, and your feelings are valid. But the way you're going about... um, but the way you're going about kind of um, expressing those feelings, that is not helpful. And that ultimately doesn't uh, change your feelings. That doesn't make you feel better. All that's going to do is land you in prison, maybe for the rest of your life, or at least a significant portion of your life. Mm-hmm. Well, like we see with uh, one of the interrupters himself, he was in prison for like 20-something years. Right. And... Uh, we see, and this was a man, this was the man I was referring to earlier who had committed a murder. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, luckily he, you know, during some point during those 20 years, there was this aha moment for him where uh, he kind of realized, like, you know, that was, I need to leave that life behind when I get out of here. And he's trying to constantly make it up in his community and whatever. Um, but, there is kind of this sense of wasted life and wasted time. Mm -hmm. Like this man wasted 20 years of his life needlessly. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, obviously he, he murdered somebody, but it was, it was unnecessary that he murder someone. And he realizes that now, but that's the tragedy. And I think part of the tragedy of the film and Amina's Amina talks about this later in the film too, when she's talking with this one girl, you know, she re- she says she realized if she could tell her younger self now what she knew what she knows now mm-hmm. her life would be so much different but the tragedy is people need to learn that for themselves to a certain extent until it finally gets ingrained in them to know yeah either they need to feel the repercussions or something bad might have to happen to them. And that's what the interrupters are trying to prevent. They're trying to prevent that first-hand experience from happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't wish that upon anybody. But that almost seems like the majority of people aren't going to just be able to turn their lives around um, just like that. And um, 
that's kind of, uh, I don't know, that, that was kind of the ultimate tragedy of the film for me. I did want to mention, before we give kind of our final thoughts on the movie, there's this great, CNN did this great uh, documentary series uh, two years back, maybe. Um, and uh, it was called uh, Chicagoland. And I believe it was a six-part miniseries. It might have been an eight-part miniseries. I think it was six, though. And uh, they were one-hour episodes. And they uh, they follow um, uh, the mayor here during uh, the time of the Interrupters is daily. Uh, but th- now they follow uh, the current mayor, Mayor uh, Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. And uh, they follow uh, the school that's actually in the Interrupters. Uh, I- I'm forgetting the name right now. Um, but the, the high school. So they follow that school and then they follow another group of people as well. And it really delves in even deeper into kind of the sociopolitical, um, kind of machinations behind this. So if you like the interrupters or you're interested, if you see Chirac and you're interested in learning more about this, this real, real world issue, I would check out uh, The Interrupters first, and then Chicagoland, if you want to go even more in-depth. Have you seen Chicagoland? I've seen it all. I, I actually binge-watched it all in a day. Cause it's, <laughs> so so you recommend it? I, I highly recommend yeah. it. Um, that isn't a movie, necessarily, so we're doing The Interrupters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, Jenny, it was your first time seeing it, so would you would you recommend this to other people? I would recommend it. I think something that I almost wish I had seen in this movie before Chirac, which I know I mentioned to you earlier, but um, I think it was kind of an interesting experience to kind of see Chirac first. <laughs> um, this It's not glamorized, but it's it's a lot prettier to watch on screen. And then you see the interrupters, and it's it's this... It, it's a cold movie. The Just the color palettes are very cold. The topic is very dark. It's it's a lot to take in. So it was kind of interesting that I saw Chirac first before The Interrupters. But I, I if you're going to do a double feature out of this, I'd almost watch The Interrupters first and then see Chirac. Um, so I recommend The Interrupters wholeheartedly. I think it's it's very dark, but it's it's something that needs to be watched. And I know you feel very similarly. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, I I try to get as many people as I can to see this movie. I think it's a brilliant movie. Um, and, you know, any Steve James film, if mm-hmm. you're just a fan of good movies, uh, and you haven't seen Hoop Dreams, uh, you haven't seen um, Life Itself, I mean, those are the two, those are the two I would start with if you're kind of going into his filmography. Um, but, I mean, this one, to me, is on a whole different level and uh i i can't recommend it highly enough obviously if you're looking for a feel-good movie this isn't the movie to watch but if you're looking for a good movie with inspiring characters Mm -hmm. and a clear story and through lines um this is the movie to watch yeah so i i really can't recommend this film highly enough um you might not know uh what to do with uh all that rage afterwards but uh you'll need to talk about it. yeah you'll need to talk about it in a podcast is what you'll have to do (laughs) really but and and little do you guys little do you listeners know um gavin is actually probably holding back a lot right now yeah i could i could say a lot more but uh we're we're limiting ourselves to a time right i'll uh i'll uh 
I'll refrain. But I should say that um, this movie uh, was completely, as all good documentaries are, are completely over was completely overlooked at the Oscars. wasn't even shortlisted. Mm-hmm. James's work as a whole has been kind of disrespected. He's only been nominated for one Academy Award, and that was for Best Editing for Hoop Dreams. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so he's been kind of disrespected amongst his peers, uh, but I, among the critical and audience communities, at least, his films are beloved, and I think that this is a movie definitely to check out. If you are going to check out the movie, you can check it out for two ninety nine on Amazon. You can rent it. Um, what I would say and caution you about is that there are two different cuts because the 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 movie was edited slightly uh into a version for PBS's frontline uh mm-hmm. program. So I would make sure when you are uh going to see the movie um that you see the 2 minute 9 2 sorry, 2 hour 9 minute long version and not the I think it's like an hour 50 something version mm-hmm. uh for frontline uh, there aren't, I've seen both versions, there aren't, like, huge differences, but, you know, you want to see... You want to see what the director wanted you to see. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then maybe you can see the front line after for fun. But, um, yeah, There's so, your double feature. There's your double feature right there. <laughs> View the same movie twice. Um, so, yeah, that is The Interrupters, and, uh, I am very proud of ourselves for, well, us... Just for being able to get through this episode, because this is a heavy one. It's a very heavy one. Um, and uh, hopefully we aren't going to have this this heavy an episode for a little bit. Uh, we definitely won't be for our next episode <laughs> coming up in two weeks. So you're going to want to check back two Tuesdays from now. It's the Tuesday right before Christmas. It's uh, the 22nd. We're going to be doing Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. And then we're going to be doing George Lucas's first film, uh, THX 1138. We're going to be doing the feature-length version, not the student short that he did <laughs> at USC, um, because this film is actually adapted from one of his thesis projects. Okay. Uh, so that's, uh, once again, we're doing Star Wars Episode 7 next episode and THX 1138. And, uh... Those movies are directed by J.J. Abrams and George Lucas, respectively. And uh, THX 1138, you can uh, you can rent on Amazon or iTunes for $2.99 currently. And uh, obviously, Star Wars, you will be able to view on every single screen. Everywhere in everywhere the Everywhere in the world. <laughs> um, for the rest of time. Um, I hope you pre-bought your tickets. Because it's, it's going to be a massacre. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so we're looking forward to that episode. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a big one. Yeah, and you know, if you also watch along, um, feel free to email us at this podcast is not yet rated at gmail.com. Tweet us at still not rated. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash this podcast is not yet rated. And check out our website, this podcast is not yet rated.com. We always respond to comments, uh, emails, concerns. Yeah, everything. and I just want to say that if you guys have uh, a movie coming up, uh, a current release that's coming up maybe uh, in a month or so, uh, or maybe even, you know, two or three months, uh, that you are really interested in us covering. Uh, shoot us an email, and uh, we'll definitely uh, consider it, or just any comments about the discussion, um, and, uh, you know, we might just engage with you uh, here on the show. Yeah, you, you might hear your very name 
coming from our mouths. <laughs> uh, so with that, I'm Jenny Leffler. And I'm Gavin Briscoe. And this has been This Podcast Is Not Yet Rated. Adieu, auf Wiedersehen, Gesundheit, Farewell. <laughs>